Chapters 27, 28, and 29 of Ruth Hall by Fanny Fern. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 27 Have you got the carpet bag, doctor, and the little brown bundle, and the russet trunk, and the umbrel, and the demijohn, and the red band box, with my best cap in it? One, two, three, four. Yes, that's all right. Now, mind those thievish porters goodness how they charge here for carriage hire i never knew before how much money it took to journey oh dear i wonder if harry is worse now there doctor you've put your foot right straight through that bandbox now where for the land's sake are my spectacles tisn't possible you've left them behind i put them in the case as you stood there in the china closet drinking your brandy and water i asked you to put them in your side pocket because my bag was full of orange pills scissors camphor peppermint drops and seed cakes i wouldn't have left them for any money such a sight of trouble as it was to get them focused right to my eyes how could you doctor be so blundering i declare it is enough to provoke a saint "'If that's the case, there's no immediate call for you to get vexed,' said the doctor tartly. "'Is that the house?' asked the old lady, her curiosity getting the better of her indignation. "'What a big hotel! I wonder if Harry is worse. Mercy me, I'm all of a quiver. I wonder if they will take us right into the drawing-room. I wonder if there's many ladies in it. My bonnet is awfully jammed. Besides, I'm so powdered with dust that I look as if I had had an ash-barrel sifted over me. Doctor! Doctor! Don't go on so far ahead. It looks awkward, as if I had no protector.' "'How's Harry?' said the doctor to a white-jacketed waiter, who stood gossiping on the piazza steps with a comrade. "'Funny old chap,' said the waiter, without noticing the doctor's query. "'I say, Bill, look how his hair is cut.' "'Taint hair,' said Tom. "'It's a wig.' "'Bless my eyes, so it is, and a red one, too. Bad symptoms.' Red wigs are the cheapest. No extra fees to be got out of that customer for blacking boots and bringing hot beefsteaks. Besides, just look at his baggage. You can always judge of a traveler bill by his trunks. It never fails. Now I like to see a trunk thickly studded with brass nails and covered with a linen overall. Then I know, if it is a lady's, that there's diamond rings inside and plenty of cash. If tis a gentleman's, that he knows how to order sherry cobblers in the forenoon, and about bottle of old wine or two with his dinner, and how to fee the poor fellow who brings it, too, who lives on a small salary with large expectations. "'How's Harry?' thundered the doctor again, after waiting what he considered a reasonable time for an answer. "'Or, if you are too lazy to tell, you whiskered jackanapes, go call your employer.' The word employer recalled the rambling waiter to his senses, and great was his consternation on finding that the old chap with the red wig was the father of young Mr. Hall, who was so beloved by everything in the establishment, down to old Neptune, the house-dog. "'I told you so,' said the doctor, turning to his wife. "'Harry's no better. Consultation this morning. Very little hope of him. So much for my not being here to prescribe for him.' Ruth shouldered a great responsibility when she brought him away out of reach of my practice. You go into that room there, Miss Hall, number 20, with your traps and things, and take off your bonnet and keep quiet while I go up and see him. End of chapter 27 Chapter 28 Hmph! 
said the doctor. Hmph! as Ruth drew aside the curtain, and let the light fell full upon Harry's face. Humph! It is all up with him. He's in the last stage of the complaint. Won't live two days. And stepping to the table, the doctor uncorked the different files, applied them to the end of his nose, examined the labels, and then returned to the bedside, where Ruth stood bending over Harry, so pallid, so tearless, that one involuntarily prayed that death, when he aimed his dart, might strike down both together. Huh! said the doctor again. When did he have his reason last? A few moments, day before yesterday, said Ruth, without removing her eyes from Harry. Well, he has been murdered. Yes, murdered, just as much as if you had seen the knife put to his throat. That tells the whole story, and I don't care who knows it. I have been looking at those files. Wrong course of treatment altogether for typhoid fever. Fatal mistake. His death will lie heavy at somebody's door. And he glanced at Ruth. Hush! He is coming to himself, said Ruth, whose eyes had never once moved from her husband. Then I must tell him that his hours are numbered, said the doctor, thrusting his hands in his pockets and pompously walking round the bed. "'No, no,' whispered Ruth, grasping his arm with both hands. "'You will kill him. "'The doctor said it might destroy the last chance for his life. "'Don't tell him. "'You know he is not afraid to die. "'But, oh, spare him the parting with me. "'It will be so hard. "'He loves me, father.' "'Pshaw!' said the doctor, shaking her off. "'He ought to settle up his affairs while he can. "'I don't know how he wants things fixed. "'Harry, Harry!' said he, touching his shoulder. I've come to see you. Do you know me? Father, said Harry languidly, yes, I'm, I'm sick. I shall be better soon. Don't worry about me. Where's my wife? Where's Ruth? You'll never be better, Harry, said the doctor bluntly, stepping between him and Ruth. You may not live the day out. If you have got anything to say, you'd better say it now, before your mind wanders. You are a dead man, Harry, and you know that when I say that, I know what I'm talking about. The sick man gazed at the speaker, as if he were in a dream. Then slowly, and with a great effort, raising his head, he looked about the room for Ruth. She was kneeling at the bedside, with her face buried in her hands. Harry reached out his emaciated hand and placed it upon her bowed head. Ruth, wife. Her arm was about his neck in an instant, her lips to his, but his eyes were tearless and her whole frame shook convulsively. Oh, how can I leave you? Who will care for you? Oh, God, in mercy, spare me to her. And Harry fell back on his pillow. The shock was too sudden. Reason again wandered. He heard the shrill whistle of the cars, recalling him to the city's whirl of business. He had stocks to negotiate. He had notes to pay. He had dividends due. Then the scene changed. He could not be carried on a hearse through the street, surrounded by a gaping crowd. Ruth must go alone with him, by night. Why must he die at all? He would take anything. Where was the doctor? And why they waste time in talking? Why not do something more for him? How cruel of Ruth to let him lie there and die! We will try this new remedy, said one of the consulting physicians to Harry's father. It is the only thing that remains to be done, and I confess I have no faith in its efficiency in this case. 
"'He rallies again,' said Ruth, clasping her hands. "'The children,' said Harry. "'Bring me the children.' "'Presently,' said the new physician, "'try and swallow this first. "'And he raised his head tenderly. "'They were brought him. "'Little Nettie came first, "'her dimpled arms and rosy face, "'in strange contrast to the pallid lips "'she bent in childish glee to kiss.' Then little Katie, shrinking with a strange awe from the dear papa she loved so much, and sobbing, she scarce knew why, at his whispered words, "'Be kind to your mother, Katie.' Again Harry's eyes sought Ruth. She was there, but a film, a mist, had come between them. He could not see her, though he felt her warm breath. And now— that powerful frame collected all its remaining energies for the last dread contest with death. So fearful, so terrible was the struggle, that friends stood by with suppressed breath and averted eyes, while Ruth alone, with a fearful calmness, hour after hour, wiped the death-damp from his brow and the oozing foam from his pallid lips. "'He is gone,' said the old doctor, laying Harry's hand down upon the coverlid. "'No, he breathes again.' "'Ah, that's his last.' "'Take her away,' said the doctor, as Ruth fell heavily across her husband's body, and the unresisting form of the insensible wife was borne into the next room. Strange hands closed Harry's eyes, parted his damp locks, straightened his manly limbs, and folded the marble hands over as noble a heart as ever lay cold and still beneath a shroud.' End of chapter 28 Chapter 29 It is really quite dreadful to see her in this way, said Hyacinth, as they chafed Ruth's hands and bathed her temples. It is really quite dreadful. Somebody ought to tell her, when she comes to, that her hair is parted unevenly and needs brushing sadly. Harry's finely chiseled features look quite beautiful in repose. It is a pity the barber should have been allowed to shave off his beard after death. It looked quite oriental and picturesque. But the sight of Ruth in this way is really dreadful. It quite unnerves me. I shall look ten years older by tomorrow. I must go down and take a turn or two on the piazza. And Hyacinth paced up and down, thinking, not of his bereaved sister, who lay mercifully insensible to her loss, or yet of the young girl whose heart was to throb trustfully at the altar by his side on the morrow, but of her broad lands and full coffers, with which he intended to keep at bay the haunting creditors, who were impertinent enough to spoil his daily digestion by asking for their just dues. "'One o'clock!' The effect of the sleeping potion administered to Ruth had passed away. Slowly she unclosed her eyes and gazed about her. The weary nurse, forgetful of her charge, had sunk into heavy slumber. Where was Harry? Ruth presses her hands to her temples. Oh, God! The consciousness that would come! The frantic outreaching of the arms to clasp a vain shadow! Where had they laid him? She crossed the hall to Harry's sick room. The key was in the lock. She turned it with trembling fingers. 
Oh, God, the dreadful stillness of that outlined form, the calm majesty of that marble brow on which the moonbeams fell as sweetly as if that peaceful sleep was but to restore him to her widowed arms, that half-filled glass from which his dying lips had turned away, those useless files, that watch, his watch, moving, and he so still, the utter helplessness of human aid, the dreadful might of omnipotence. Harry! Oh, when was he ever deaf before to the music of that voice? Oh, how could Ruth, God forgive her, look upon those dumb lips and say, Thy will be done? Horrible, muttered Hyacinth, as the undertaker passed him in the stairs with Harry's coffin. These business details are very shocking to a sensitive person. I beg your pardon, did you address me? said he to a gentleman who raised his hat as he passed. I wish to do so, though an entire stranger to you, said the gentleman, with a sympathizing glance which was quite thrown away on Hyacinth. I have had the pleasure of living under the same roof this summer with your afflicted sister and her noble husband, and have become warmly attached to both. In common with several warm friends of your brother-in-law, I am pained to learn that, owing to the failure of parties for whom he had become responsible, there will be little or nothing for the widow and her children when his affairs are settled. It is our wish to make up a purse, and request her acceptance of it, through you, as a slight token of the estimation in which we held her husband's many virtues. I understand you are to leave before the funeral, which must be my apology for intruding upon you at so unseasonable an hour. With the courtliest of bows, in the blandest of tones, Hyacinth assured, while he thanked Mr. Kendall, that himself, his father, and indeed all the members of the family, were abundantly able and most solicitous to supply every want and anticipate every wish of Ruth and her children, and that it was quite impossible she should ever suffer for anything, or be obliged in any way, at any future time, for exert herself for her own or their support all of which good news for Ruth highly gratified Mr. Kendall, who grasped the velvet palm of Hyacinth and dashed away a grateful tear that the promise to be widow and fatherless was remembered in heaven. End of chapter 29